good evening and good morning, EPL State of Mind listeners. I'm your host, James Cesfero. Alongside of me, my fantastic co-host, Kyle Mansley and Sean Larkin. Back at it again for an exciting weekend and week full of EPL and European tournament-style soccer, or football, if you will. So get ready to dive back into the EPL State of Mind with us, because we have a doozy for you today. I think everything has been mounting up to this massive mountain of VAR discrepancies, arguments, and just straight, as my true captain and coach would say, disgrace, disgrace, disgrace of of a showing from VAR referees this week throughout European and domestic soccer. But as always, we will start off with some hot news. And for the first time in a while, we actually get some happy news. It was the result of a almost month-long excursion, but Luis Diaz's father has finally been released from the Colombian, I guess, captors that he has. I forget exactly what party it was that had him, but his mother was released about a week and a half ago, and his father was just released this week. So happy to see that for Diaz. He you know, obviously has been struggling in the soccer field for a little bit. Mentally, you can't blame the guy. He has been putting up some numbers, a couple good goals recently, but it's glad to see that that's back in suit here. Uh, the next one we have here, Kyle, you want to you wanna talk about one of our favorite teams and how they just can't seem to get away from this kind of incidents? Yeah, you know, we're going to dive into Man U for a second here. We won't even talk about their weekend game yet. I mean, that's, that's cold news at this point. But it's Marcus Rashford's agent and brother charged for domestic violence. You know, James, you were just saying we get to start off the hot news on a positive note for once. Well, to bring it back down to earth. I mean, it, the Man U disease is spreading beyond the walls of Old Trafford. The agent and the brother? That, yeah, well, one person. He's the he's his brother and agent. So it, at least we didn't get a, a – it's a two-for-one there. At least it's not two separate situations. No, that, that, still it that is. does make more sense. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> You know what that is? That's that's James did the sheet this week instead of me, and he can't write. Yeah, I should have done. He can, uh, he can play slash soccer, agent. Though. Yeah. Oh yeah, you should see it. Hoboken Hombres playoff game start. You know, if you're by Sinatra, 10 p.m. on Monday. We got 10 p.m. games. That's hot. Yeah, news. 10 p.m. on Monday in the middle of November. I'm I'm definitely I'll be there. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, getting back to it, Marcus Rashford's ex agent and brother now <laughs> were charged for domestic violence. You know, if in my opinion, this this does stem it. When, when it happens to the players, you can always say something, maybe the coaching, you know, stuff like that. They need to be on a tighter leash. They, this is ridiculous. You know, when, when you hear the great coaches, you know, Sir Alex Ferguson, that shit didn't go on. You look at Barcelona right now under Xavi. Those guys are on a military schedule. You know what I'm saying? Like they are. And look at the team. They're all thriving on and off the field. That those guys out there right now. So, yeah, man, man you is just, fire. I mean, these players know they can, they can do anything right now. They have no supervision. They got no coaching. It's an awful situation. I will never talk lightly of this stuff, but it, it's awful. This needs to be – there's no room for this in the beautiful game. And I feel like every week we talk about shit like this. And it's lately it's all been coming out of Old Trafford. So, you know, they need to make a change and they need to do it quickly. It's yeah, ridiculous. but it doesn't have anything to do with any of the players. So it's, no. it's hard to hold them accountable for that one. Yeah, yeah. I mean, but you're you're not wrong in the slightest on this one, but – you never know what would happen if if Man U was on a 13-game win streak. Marcus Rashford and his agent would probably be on a completely different path right now. So Yeah, you can't, you but, can't you know, control that's the individual's actions. Yeah. But, yeah, this, this is unexcusable. Yeah, something that we can kind of control, or I thought we could, is bad refereeing. 
And Anthony Taylor earlier in the week was demoted to the championship. So the division or the league below the English Premier League for one week. And he's already back and scheduled to be the referee of probably the biggest game of the weekend. And that is, I think will be a bit of disappointment for Chelsea fans, but that is Chelsea versus Man City. That's 1130 a.m. on Sunday. Taylor last year was tied in the English Premier League for the most games officiated 30. And he held the most red cards awarded, which was four in the 2022-23 season. Not so fun fact, but Robert Jones, Paul Tierney, and John Brooks are currently leading 2023-2024 season with three red cards already. So it's kind of wild. And Paul Tierney has only officiated six games so far. So this kind of is going to be a, a conversation in the future, how the officiating now, specifically and especially with VAR, how these numbers are climbing tremendously a reminder everybody we're only in what week 12 we're about to get into and we're already looking at red card numbers that was through 30 games last season wait hold on so I'm, Anthony doing, Tyler. I'm doing some quick math here you get a three game suspension for a red card right i mean only on a straight red but yeah i mean if we're 12 games in that means these guys got a red card game one missed two through four game five missed six through eight game nine missed 10 11 like they're getting a red card every single time they're on the field at this point yeah, well, mo some teams are. I mean, there's one guy last year. I didn't see it who it was, but he only refereed six games and he gave out three red cards. Jeez. That's half of that's one per every game that he refereed. So we're we're looking at numbers like this early on in the season. And I think everyone's realizing that, hey, these refs are out of control. And we'll have a little bit of a conversation about that later on. But it's going to be coming up in segment two, which is kind of what we're segueing into right now. And Kyle, I think you can kind of take the lead on this because you're the only happy one out of the three of us. I'm semi-happy. You're very happy, Sean. Your your name on your little screen, yuck, says it all, unfortunately, for us today <laughs> with Liverpool. But the big up of the weekend is Manduku City, six, verse, six in versus Bournemouth's one. I know your favorite scoreline last year, so I'll let you take it away from here. But tell us about the showing that your guys had. I'll start with I absolutely love Manduku City. Well, well played. But um, yeah, you know, 6-1, as James said, it's not my favorite scoreline you'll see out of Bournemouth. If you look back last year, I, I might have this or mentioned this once in the last year, maybe. But Liverpool actually beat Bournemouth 9 to nothing last season. It was a really fun match. But yeah, this game was a doku show. He was a 10 out of 10 rating with, you know, three and a half assists, one and a half goals. The man's an absolute menace. Uh, his ability to play on either side of the pitch makes him more dangerous than something we've had in the past. You know, you look at people like Mares, Bernardo Silva, they they stick to their side and they thrive over there. But you, you get a player, I mean, Phil Foden's another name that comes to mind, similar to Doku, who can just play on either side. And it's it's a large threat for a lot of teams that play man coverage. Other than that, the game itself, it was domination. I mean, City had 21 shots. 93% pass accuracy. That's what I like to hear. I mean, they are controlling the ball. They take a lead. That pass accuracy tells me that they are they're playing back. They're passing it until they find the opening. They're not rushing. They're not trying anything crazy. It's it's well-designed football. Zero cards, eight fouls. That means they geniuses about their fouls. Go in, get hit, and get away before the card comes out. Absolutely love that. Um, the other thing to think about is there were five goal scorers and none of them were Erling Holland, which is, I mean, it's a shame if, you know, you were double downing, even triple downing on Holland this week. I don't know if anyone did that, 
But, oh, yeah. <laughs> you, don't, you don't know, do you? <laughs> I, but, uh, I, I say that we're going to talk about the big down of the weekend, which is Liverpool shortly. But the real big down here is how I'm able to still come on to a podcast all about football. And I triple captained Holland this week in my fantasy league. He got three points. If I wasn't going, if I didn't triple captain, he would have gotten me one point. So just absolutely absurdity from that. Came on at halftime. I was watching at Mulligans and I was just like, oh my God, where is he? Don't tell me he's on the bench. Apparently he pulled up with an injury. I think it's just because he wasn't getting the ball enough, wasn't playing well. And then, of course, during the week, he goes back into the side and scores two. He gets a brace against, I think it was Young Boys. So just my luck. But listen, fantasy is not for everybody. <laughs> Uh, yeah, the last thing I'll touch upon were, were the goal scorers. You had Doku, Silva, and Foden, names that you will be seeing on the score sheet. But on top of that, you had Akanji and Ake, two of the backs. Love to see that. Absolutely love to see that. It means they're confident. They're coming up with the ball. They're not playing on their heels. It's it's a good thing to see. But uh, other than that, I mean, Bournemouth, lucky fuckers. Can't believe they scored. But yeah, it was a fantastic game. A lot of fun to watch. And as James mentioned earlier, City was the only team in the top five that didn't drop points this week. Order has been restored, gentlemen. Yeah, love that. Anything about the game from you, Sean, other than I – and I know you mentioned a kanji scored, but that's why we have here that uh, Dooku has 3.5 assists and 1.5 goals. Yeah. Mashed it into a kanji side, and it goes in off of deflection. So whatever, but Sean, what do you think? Anything about this one or do we, do we want to move on to our little up? Yeah, let's keep moving. Uh, I mean, I, <laughs> I don't really want to talk about Teddy kicking ass. We know they're good. It's nothing. You know, new. Sean, I, I got a question for you real quick. How are the XGs on that game? 1.95 and for city and 0.91 for Bournemouth. I mean, you're the XG specialist on the pod. <laughs> you know, XG that that is an interesting an interesting call. I mean, I think some of the the goals were from like dip, like kind of sharp angles that or or distance that Duke was able to finish, and they don't count for that much. Also, just in general, other than the goals, said he didn't have like a ton of chances. I would say, obviously, they I mean they still kicked ass, so it doesn't really matter. I, I don't know for, for whatever reason though. If you look at their xG throughout the season, it's been pretty low, but they also don't give up any like any either. Like they've pretty much been under one almost in every game they've played this season, as far as I'm aware. Yeah, they're like you said, they're they're a fucking good side, and unfortunately, they're back on top right now. So we'll see how long that lasts. I think we have probably a four. I think we really have a four horse race going on, and we'll talk about that further on. I think once December and Christmas time comes around, we'll have a better picture of who really might be sticking in it. But right now, it, it's it's not a runaway show with Man City. So hopefully we get a little additional surprises. I mean, they did lose to Wolves already. They lost to Arsenal already. So I'm sure we can squeak out one or two more L's for them. But a little up shout out for the secondary winner of the weekend is Nottingham Forest taking it to Aston Villa at City Ground. And they won 2-0, which is extremely impressive for a middle to lower side of the table team that is Nottingham Forest. Keeping a clean sheet for the third highest goals for team in the league. A very good looking Unai Emery squad. So have to make sure that we give credit where credit is due. And Nottingham Forest, you did a, a nice job this weekend. And hopefully you can keep that ball rolling. But when there is an up, there is always a down. And Sean, unfortunately, that one has kind of fallen upon Liverpool this weekend and this week. Take us through how your mental health is and where you're standing right now. Yeah, I think uh, yesterday obviously was disappointing with them losing to Toulouse three to two. 
we'll get into the handball or uh, incident in a couple of minutes. But I just wanted to talk about the the Luton Town game first. Um, you know, credit to them. I talked about it on the preview. I said like they will at some point take points off one of the big six teams. They might even get a win, and I still think they could at the end of the year. I think um, in terms of how Luton set up, they they probably have the best chances of staying up of the three promoted teams that are currently in the relegation zone as well. Um, I just think they they play compact. Luton Towns, uh, what is it? Kenilworth Road has the smallest dimensions of any field in the league, and I feel like. They just, you know, stayed compact, and, and Liverpool really didn't take advantage of width in the game. So, um, you know, it, it limited their chances. But at the end of the day, Liverpool did also just didn't take their chances. You know, Nunez and Salah, lots of misses um, from close range. And that, you know, that type of thing, when you get into halftime, you're like, oh, you're sweating a little bit. You know you're not taking your chances. Just all they need is one break, and that's exactly what it was. Uh, Tahith Chong finished. Um, eventually our boy Luis Diaz who came on, um, and as we said, uh, scored, but, uh, and showed, showed a shirt saying, you know, free my freedom for my dad. And then eventually got that today. So, or yesterday, sorry. So that was a positive, but, uh, a disappointing game overall. Like at the end of the day, obviously great atmosphere at Luton, you know, credit to them, but you still expect to get three points from that game. Yeah. If, if you want to be a title title winner, you have to win that game. You know what I mean? Um, so that, that's disappointing. It. Yeah, you said it. It's, they're a relegation side. They are. They look like the best out of all three relegation teams that are probably going down with with uh, Burnley, Sheffield United, and Luton Town. But the, if you look at the graph, the footmod or, or sofa score, the momentum bar that they have there, it was all in Liverpool's field. It was like in their in their time. It was all momentum was Liverpool. And uh, I think you guys missed maybe like I think you had – six big chances and you had six big chance misses Nunez right. pulled in Nunez but th- I gotta say Chong he looked so good that game whenever he had the ball I mean he was definitely the highlight for Luton Town that and if they can bring some momentum there but I think you're right they're probably the best looking side out of the relegation zone but it's, it's yeah I liked I liked his performance I also thought Ogbené was really good for them too um you know, when they did have chances on the break, it felt like they, they got it through him. And, and you actually sent something today I thought was interesting. He's the fastest or the has the highest top speed of any player in the league so far this season by like a pretty significant margin. So um, definitely between him and Chong, they're two guys where you can, you know, substitute them on and, and they can create something. Like I think it was Andros Townsend started on the right for hmm. Luton Town and then um, Chong came on for him and, Started to make a difference with his pace, you know, former Man, Man United boy. So I'm sure he was happy about that. I'm sure that also made your boy Ian happy, Kyle. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Being a Man United boy, put, stick stick one in Liverpool's back. Yeah, it's crazy. I mean, you guys, I'm looking at the lineup and, and your lineup against them was your strongest side. And it, it's not like anyone really had a bad game per se. Just it, you weren't getting the bounces your way. You know, I, for, you know. I would say two things. Sorry, just before we move on on this one. Um McAllister is just not fit to be a six. It's not mm-hmm. his best position. You're yep. not getting the best out of him. And if you look at the the second goal, he already has a yellow card. He's going to be suspended for the game against Brentford this weekend, which could also be a banana peel. Um, and <laughs> no, I, I really, I really yeah, think that. Absolutely. Um, but he just doesn't have the pace or the physicality to do the role. He already had a yellow, so he couldn't stop the break. And then he, you know, couldn't keep up with the Heath Chong. You know, he just outpaced him, got to the ball and, and finished. So 
Um, that was disappointing, and it just rolled into uh, to what we're talking about next, which is the Toulouse game, uh, which um, Europa League. I mean, at the end of the day, I expect Liverpool to finish top of that group, so it's not like a devastating mm-hmm. loss, but um, you know, credit to them again. The atmosphere in that game was unbelievable. Like one, of, it remind, reminded me of a few years ago. Liverpool lost to uh, Red Star Belgrade in the Champions League, the year they actually won it. And it just and it was like just an impossible atmosphere to contend with. You know, when the fans are going wild like that and just supporting their team to to such an extent, you know, it really raises them up to a different level. So credit to them. Obviously, it's a team in like 14th place in league on, so it's not you know setting the world alight, but they, they played great on that day. Yeah, it was it was a really fun one to watch. And Toulouse is I have one of my former college uh, captains, one of the best soccer players I've actually had the pleasure to play with, uh, Seiji Rose. He's part of the management squad over there. So I was following his social media. And just the sea of purple and white must have been an absolute scene over there. And granted, you know, you look at the starting 11 for Liverpool and they only had three of their typical starting 11 out there and that was with gomez McAllister, who you've already spoke about in his position and not starting as of late for you know circumstances outside of his own will and power is diaz but you did see the big four of salas obasly trent alexander arnold and and nunez come in at halftime and toulouse still kept a strong back and some of their finishes i'm not gonna lie to you some of their finishes were really neat and tidy i mean the second goal they had was a great touch to finish that went post in nothing your keeper who is your backup keeper uh could do about it just a really really nice finish so you gotta like you said give hats off to Toulouse but like you said at the end of the day Liverpool is still first in their group and and probably will be easily in first for for making it to the knockout stage but a kind of good segue that I'm curious of what your take on it and it's going to go into our kind of segment 2.2 here is the big brother VAR debate because at the dying embers of the game, it seemed like Liverpool was on the attacking front and they were really peppering to loose. And um, we had a goal chalked off for Liverpool from a McAllister handball in the buildup. So it's going to kick off our kind of rapid fire debate of VAR controversies that happened this weekend and this week. So what's your what's your feeling on this one, gents? Sean, I'll, I'll start with you because this is probably the one that that is closest to you, obviously. But do you you look at this again? You chalk this goal off? No, I, I don't. For three reasons. First of all, it, it stood initially. The second part of it is it happened twenty eight seconds. The goal by Jarrell Quanta was scored twenty eight twenty eight seconds after McAllister handled the ball. But the third thing is it hits it his chest first and then above his arm sleeve. So to me, that's not a handball. Um, it's unfortunate, but again, you know, Liverpool just didn't deserve it on the day. So I'm fine with that. But, and the, sorry, the last thing was the ref gave the goal mm-hmm. and then five seconds later ran to the monitor, which was mm-hmm. really bizarre too. I don't know. Listen, I, I, I'm not going to be biased and say like they, they deserved a win. They didn't, you know, to lose again, credit to them, but um, definitely got jobs of a point here. Oh yeah. Big time. I, I'm on the other side of things, and Kyle, you'll you'll be the deciding factor here. But the the 28 seconds is is huge. The buildup at that point has already established opportunity for Toulouse to not have you know negative effects. An to, affected, but, from yes, the, yeah, exactly, a negative effect to what would be considered the uh, the critical point, right? To me, if 
they called it live. Yeah, it's a handball. I agree. It's a handball. And I think they did the right thing and called it because it ultimately led to the goal. But again, like you said, above the sleeve, we've seen handballs given for less. We haven't seen handballs be given for more. So it's a little bit inconsistency. I think VAR happened to get this one right because just it changed the direction of the play and, and brought the, the ball under control into a more adventitious position for him. But Kyle, I think you're on the side with Sean on this one, are you not? I am. I don't think that's a penalty in my opinion. You know, the, the big thing for me is that you have to be making your body actively bigger to haul that foul. And yes, the arm was out, but as Sean mentioned, it went from chest to arm sleeve. Whether or not his arm was at 3 o'clock on the clock, at 12 o'clock, at 6 o'clock, it doesn't matter. That arm sleeve is still there. If, that, if, if, that, if those arms were tucked by his knees, it's still going to hit the chest and then the shoulder. So it, it's mm -hmm. not actively making your body bigger to enhance the play. So you guys went over the whole 28-second ordeal. I agree with that fully. I'm, <laughs> I'm not going to lie to you guys. These, this year has taught me that I don't know shit about handball rules. So... <laughs> In my opinion, that's not a handball, but you know there are definitely better judgments of handball than me. Well, ultimately, I think we started off with probably one of the least um, monumentous VAR decision of the weekend and week, and we're getting to one that was probably a little bit more so of a, a larger decision. And this also came in European tournament. This was during the Champions League. This is Man United's Rashford red card. So for those who don't know, Man United looked like they were cruising to victory against FC Copenhagen, who is currently in first place in the 12-team Danish league. Um, they were up to Manu was up two nothing in this game and end up losing four to three. Probably one of the biggest upsets and thrillers that we saw this week. But we have to place another emphasis on this game because of the VAR intervention sending Rashford off in the 42nd minute. First and foremost. I will say, in my opinion, this loss cannot be blamed on anyone but Man U. To let up a 2-0 lead 42 minutes into the first half, go into halftime 2-2, take the lead 3-2 on another controversial handball penalty kick, then to lose 4-2 is, is outrageous to me. I mean, they led 3-2 with 20 minutes left to go is horrible, let alone two goals in that first half. I mean, if you look at what Spurs did, which we'll talk about shortly, with nine men on the field versus Chelsea, they held them to one goal with the most horrendous high-line decision in the history of high lines for 40 minutes, nearly a whole half playing two men down with a high line that was literally on the midpoint. Manu has no one to blame but themselves for this loss, but with this being said, Kyle, was this was this a red card for Marcus Rashford? Uh, yeah, one hundred percent. And the reason is, is you look back a couple weeks ago for when Liverpool got those two red cards that were just nonsense. And I, I believe it was Curtis Jones, was it mm -hmm. Sean who got the so. the really questionable one? And what it comes down to is they decided on that play that they were going to only look at the freeze frame of the challenge. They weren't looking at the build up. They weren't looking at afterwards. They looked at the freeze frame. And if you look at Rashford's challenge, the spikes are up. Whether or not it was malicious, whether or not he actually followed through hard, isn't, you know, it's not taken into account. The picture that I saw was gruesome, period. That's a red card. You know, it might have been with the, the power of a butterfly, you know, tapping your window, but <laughs> the picture exists. So for them not to call that, there would be 
insane amounts, e even more so for calling it, but there would be insane amounts of backlash from the other, the opposition, and it would be deserved. So yeah, that that's a hundred percent a red in my opinion, just going off what's been going on this season. What do you think, Sean? Uh, I don't agree. I don't think it's a red. Um, there's no intent there. He steps down with not a lot of force. I get that it's a high, but it's not as high as the, the Jones one was, and it's a different play for me. I also hold UEFA's standards to a higher than the Premier League, the officiating, because it's usually much better, much more spot on. They're also more lenient and let the game flow. Um, so I'm, to me, I think it obviously changes the game because it's a huge moment for, for Copenhagen. They're down 2 nothing. They puts them back into the game almost immediately, like you said, with the two goals. So, um, And then United dropped to the bottom of their group, right? Or yeah. are they, they yeah. in third place in their group? Yeah, they're in the bottom. Yeah, so it's still a tight running, but they're at the bottom. Yeah, for sure. I mean, they, the thing with them is now that they have they have to beat Galatasaray away, which is going to be nuts because yep. they're going to be trying to stay. That that's a crazy atmosphere, and then they have to beat Bayern Munich, which is good luck with that. What Bayern Munich I, haven't lost a group stage in what sixteen games? Something outrageous. In, yeah, that's in sure. I mean, that sounds about right. Well, also, I mean, going off of James, he, he was saying earlier how. You know, Man U is the one that you blame for this loss. I, I agree fully, but I would take it a step further that you blame no one but Eric Ten Hag. Once, once you're up two nothing with a red card, I would say that more than fifty percent of coaches in the Premier League would rather be in that situation than zero zero with eleven men, because you can make the proper adjustments. Like you said about um, what was it, Chelsea Tottenham? They held yeah. them for forty eight minutes. I, I think what this came down to was all the the shit Ten Hag has been getting at lately, his job's on the line. He was scared. He he didn't want to just park the bus immediately because then, you know, you have no chance of scoring. And what if the two goals go in? And guess what? The two goals went in. And it, I, I don't know. I don't understand why I was still seeing Manchester United attacking. Like There is a time and a place to park the bus. And it's when you are desperate for points. And I'm sorry. He had two opportunities. He had two opportunities. They went up twice. They were leading twice in this game. They had yeah. a goal opportunity with 20 minutes left. 3-2. Try that now. <laughs> Your like, defense, granted, their defense sucks. I mean, their defense is horrid now. But, but that, that's my yeah, point, is your defense is trash. Then you take every midfielder and you help. That's what you do. It's Copenhagen. I mean, they have no business scoring four goals on Manchester United. Hmm. But they did. I mean, even 10 men. So I, I, I think this is just the nail in the coffin for Ten Hag's job. It'd be tough. They go, they have a home game versus Luton town who just took down a top four contender. So that would, that would be kind of crazy if they go to old Trafford. And like Sean said, they have the ability to take points away from our, from this big six. So maybe this is you're prophesizing Luton town's uh, revenge here, but there was some more action that we have to talk about in the realm of VAR and unfortunately, this one falls on this hat falls on top of mine and Arsenal's head. And that is the defeat at St. James's Park, one nothing to Newcastle. This one was like a trilogy. There was three acts to this VAR controversy. And we're going to get through every single one after a two second pause for my health and my sanity. OK, so let's get into it. Act number one, <laughs> the yellow card mayhem that Havertz caused in the 37th minute. First and foremost, the shithousery that that was in result of this tackle that Havertz did on, I think it was Longstaff, was absolutely entertaining. 
Kai Havertz goes in. It was on the left side of the pitch. If you're going on on Newcastle's attacking front, we lost the ball probably in the almost the final third of Newcastle, and Havertz flies into a tackle on Longstaff. Now he he went in stud up, but he was a good probably yard away from actually hitting Longstaff with his leading leg, but his trailing leg completely takes Longstaff out. And you watch the replay. When I saw it live, I was like, holy shit, Havertz, what did you just do? I thought he was gone for for good, for sure, for sure. But upon replay and seeing that the ref came over, the ref came over like he was going to give a red card immediately. He sprinted over, went to his pocket, and pulls out a yellow card. Newcastle swarms Havertz. Havertz is just there smiling, smug, and walking away. And three yellow cards go out to Newcastle's. So four four yellow cards were issued during this play, three to Newcastle, one to Havertz. Guys, was this a yellow or was this a red card? For me, it's definitely a red card. Um, you know, if the Rashford one is a red card, then that should have been a red card. But you know what it comes down to, like I said earlier, is the freeze frame. that hit his, It hit the trailing leg. So there's nothing that they can look at and be like, wow, that is the most delicious challenge I've ever seen in my life. It's like, no, it's this season. Yeah, I think that should have been a red past seasons, any season, but the 2023-24 season. No, I don't think that's a red card. But, you know, we got to keep something consistent. So it might as well be bullshit red cards. I also absolutely hate that Havertz walked away with a smile. Yeah. Like, you <laughs> motherfucker. Come you on. You go help that guy up. You check on him. You see if he's okay. Yeah, you could have done that. And, I mean, I love that Newcastle got three yellows. You damn right. You defend your boy when shit happens like that. But, yeah, I mean, if if they got a red for, you know, WWE knocking the shit out of Havertz, like a little RKO, something like that, <laughs> I would have been the one smiling, smug, all that shit. But, yeah, for me this season, red card. Sean, what do you think? No, it's it's a it's an orange card for me. It's like somewhere in between. I wish there was a way for them to do a black card where you either send that specific player off, but you, you can use a sub to put 11 players on, or the player goes off for 10 minutes. Something like that. I think that's got – because if there's going to be this many red cards on a weekly basis where they, yeah. like every time you put a tackle in and you go over the ball or you slightly miss or it's mistimed, it's just going to be too much. Like we talked about the, the overpouring of – red cards and the increase this year. I just, we got to cut down on it or because otherwise it kills the flow of the game. I mean, Mm -hmm. I I think this was a really hotly contested game that would have made a huge difference. Um, But it also might've opened it up because there was what two shots on goal combined in this game for both teams. Yeah, it was, it was not, it was a slug fest, but not at the, at the end of the goals. Uh, That might be the hockey player in you talking, but I love it. Introduce a, introduce a penalty box. Fuck it. Send them in there. (laughs) You know, dude, listen, if you if they can add VAR and and all of that stuff, why not to give me something different? There's got to be something that will fix this, because right now it is broken. But to me, it's not a, it's not a red card. He jumps into the tackle. Yes, which is reckless. But he was not close to hitting him with his studs up. He did go but, to wait. try to stop the pass and his trailing leg knock him out. For me, it's a yellow card. If he hits him with the front leg, it's a red. Oh, uh, correct? immediately. Okay. Yes, absolutely. All right. All right. 100%. That's it. That's all I want you to say. Yeah, 100%. I agree. I agree. Uh, I mean, I thought he got him with his front leg, and I was expecting a red card, and then I saw the, the replay. Yeah. I was like, oh, okay, this this makes more sense. It 100% is reckless, and I would not condone doing that ever again to Havertz, but that, that to me is a yellow. One thing to me that was not a yellow and wasn't even foul on the game, but should have been a red card 
is the WWE style out of nowhere forearm to the back of Jorginho's head that Bruno Gamarish, who I used to like before this game, put on him. I mean, you guys, I'm assuming, saw this too, but act two was the forehand of Bruno Gamarish. And I, this is 100% red card to me. This is the definition of a red card. This is dangerous. It's reckless. There's no need for it. It's malicious. It's He went out of his way. And the PGMOL came out and stood by their on-site decision, which was not having a foul at all, saying, yeah, was it nice? No, but it wasn't his elbow. He didn't use his forearm as a weapon. So fuck that. Let's all just walk around throwing haymakers with our forearms. If, as long as it's not the elbow, you can get away with anything, apparently. So to me, this is, this is absolute nonsense. And to have this happen, I think maybe 10, less than 10 minutes after the Kai Havertz, you can clearly tell that Bruno Gmarish is not mentally fit to participate in these high-intensity games. He's just going to get the better of them. So to me, this is, without a doubt, a disgrace of a miss for VAR. And VAR, the the PGMLO like third-party panel came out yesterday or two days ago and said that, yeah, this should have been a red card. So in my opinion, obviously, onside should have been a red card. Kyle, let's go to you. What do you think? Uh, I agree with you. I think you covered almost all of that. But here's one thing I think you're not going to like. Uh oh. Does this prove that Jorginho is not world class? Because that <laughs> challenge happens to any world class player, and that's a red card. Oh my God. Very compelling point. I think that's <laughs> that, that opening check case. So let's just move on. Sean, you, you, red card, not red card. I'm not entertaining that one. I liked it, Kyle, but I'm not entertaining it. It's. I think it's, a, again, similar like orange or, or fucking send him off, but it's, it's not. If he hits him with the elbow, yeah, like it, it, it is a difference. Your elbow is the sharpest point of your body. It's stupid. It's rash, but um, I definitely think he deserves to get booked. But I don't know if it's if it's a red. Yeah, let me ask you a question here before we get into Act Three, and I kind of I think I allude to it in the future in our future question. But it is this something that the the league can look back on and suspend the player after the game for their actions? Is this something that they need to introduce instead of possibly VAR on site? Oh, uh, that's a good question. Um, no, because if you have VAR to pull things back for dangerous play, for example, we're going to get into it in a second with the the Chelsea Tottenham game where that you know wasn't even a foul and and the game went on. I I think no, I don't think they should be able to. They can change the suspension. You can make it more than three mm -hmm. if it's something crazy, but you know on review. But at the same time, I I, I think you know VAR. If they see something, they, they, it's their responsibility to call it out and send them off. So I don't think there needs to be an additional, you know, Premier League officiating board that, that does that. It's it's bad enough as it is. I want I'm for smaller, smaller officiating. It's, you know, like people like big government, small government for smaller officiating. The less influence they have, the better, in my opinion. Fair. Fair. What do you think about uh? What do you think about NFL type rules here, where you know after the fact, unnecessary roughness, but we'll just fine the guy eighteen thousand dollars, something like that afterwards. Yeah, get, instead of the inverse of incentives, although Bruno Gamarich might have an incentive to cost most most blood force drama to players' heads because it's not the first time he's done it. But well, I, that's an interesting point. I think maybe some fines, but again, that 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 goes back to Sean's point of that's additional officiating after the game when it's not even called on there. So I think. I think we'll get into it in a little bit, whether or not we agree on the, the actual status of VAR. But the third and final act in this game, which had my blood boiling, I, went, I moved from Mulligan's to Finnegan's Pub. I had a world tour on Saturday, let me tell you that. That's just and, a Hoboken tour. Yeah, that's a, that is. <laughs> <laughs> 
but uh, a couple car bombs in, and I was screaming <laughs> at the monitors at Finnegan's. And uh, Bobber Finnegan's is fantastic, but we were watching this game at an almost complete silence because the stereo system was not working in Finnegan. So I've never seen a pub so quiet and screaming at the same time. And this was the only goal of the game. So Act Three had three small acts inside of it, actually, and and the first one being <laughs> oh my God. was a ball <laughs> out of bounds, which no. uh, Joe Willick kept in supposedly was Joe Linton's foul on Gabriel missed, and then the third was was Gordon offsides when the ball came off of Joe Linton. So Kyle, what's your take on the saga of the saga? So. <sighs> I can't believe I'm saying this, but was the ball out of bounds? I don't know, which is an unbelievable thing to say, having watched the game. They didn't show you one goddamn replay of the line with the right angle. They showed us, like, you know, maybe at a 30-degree angle where, the you know, the bottom of the ball was clearly out of bounds. There's no doubt about that. But I can't tell you whether or not the right side of the ball was in or out. So <clears throat> I, I don't know. <laughs> But um, as far as the foul was concerned, in my opinion, that was a foul. It's If it's not going to get called correctly, so be it. So it's one of those things that if the, the play didn't directly lead to a goal, I don't think anyone would be shouting about it right now. It would have just been like, oh, they, they missed a call. All right, we're moving on, moving on, moving on. But, you know, it did lead to a goal. Uh, Gordon offsides, I, I don't think so. Maybe. But in my, in my opinion, they, they let the play go. This was not a game where they did that often. So, yeah, you know, maybe blow a whistle, but there was nothing crazy malicious about the play. I'm not surprised that that ball hit the back of the net and nothing was blown. It took a while. It took, they reviewed everything or supposedly everything in great detail, but I'm curious to, to see if you have agreements with what Kyle said or not, Sean, and then we'll go to me and I'll probably say yes to everything and then we can go on and be happy with our lives. <laughs> Yeah, so I'm actually just going to not even do that. So just James, for the record. So Havertz shouldn't have been sent off. Gamera should have been sent off. Uh, this goal shouldn't have counted. Mm -hmm. And Arsenal should have won the game with one shot on goal, right? No, no. Yeah, yes, yes, <laughs> yes, and no. The, yeah, okay. That's, that's what it is. The, I'm not saying that Arsenal should have won the game. <laughs> Because they didn't have any the overarching. I know what you're getting to. Arsenal didn't really have many chances. I think the only shot that was really on target was Martinelli's shot in the second half. And it went straight to Nick Pope. So, yes. But if you want to we'll play a little leapfrog here. The ball was out of bounds. We saw one angle. Clearly no. showed it. Yes, it was out of bounds. It was out of bounds. They, there's, there's, I think Kyle's right. They didn't They didn't have the right camera angle for it. Where it's just straight overhead. Out of overhead, the 89, tell. 86 cameras in in St. James's Park, you're telling me that you can find one angle better than that. But if you're they telling me that you though. have to keep, if you have to keep the call on the field because the referee didn't see it, all he has to do is look at that and said, "You know what? That's that's closer to being out of bounds than inbounds. We missed that one because there's no referee on the baseline there. If there was a ref on the baseline and he was in a good position to say, yeah, like I saw it was inbounds, fine. But if he didn't see it, they look at that. That's out of bounds. I don't care. Pulse like, check. That's, that's out of bounds. That's out of bounds." Then the but you don't even we don't have to worry about that because it was a foul. It was a foul. You know what? Joe Linton's on his back. Like you it cannot have, do it that. It shouldn't have even ended up as a goal. It's it's actually the the person you should be most mad at is David Raya for not dealing with the cross. Oh, because that's his job. Yeah, that's horrible. And he's been a little bit. I would say honestly, one of your weakest players in your starting eleven yeah. this year. Yep. Ramsdale, you know, obviously doesn't have the on the ball ability, but he 
at least waited till halfway through the season or later to start falling apart yeah. uh, in terms of his drop in form. So it, it's so tough. It seems right. how long. I mean, he, right. he's got to deal with that cross because yeah. I don't think Gordon's offside. I do think it's a foul. I don't know why it wasn't called, but I, I think, again, less VAR intervention, the better. Obviously, that's not consistent, though, so I totally understand why you're upset. Um, but they did allow it in the moment. Uh, and at the end of the day, it's it's Raya's fault for not dealing with the cross because he should have. He looked like a like a dreidel out there. He was just spinning around when that ball was floating over. No, that's Anthony's job. That's Anthony's job. Just <laughs> spinning, spinning uselessly in space. Yeah, I mean, you bring a good point. I mean, that's we won't get into it much because the biggest debate that's been over Arsenal's head is the keeper. And last year, Ramsdale was very solid. Was I comfortable every time that an opposing team was in the position that Newcastle was in with Ramsdale? No. I still thought that he was relatively inexperienced. I mean, he did just come from a, a relegated Sheffield United side. And I thought that I would have more comfortability with Raya in there. But if I've seen anything, it's that the pressure is possibly getting to Raya. I mean, he didn't have any pressure at Brentford because they weren't expecting anything from Brentford, but he was their best player. I mean, he stood on his head every match. Now he comes to a big team with big expectations. Maybe it's a little bit too big for his trousers, but yeah. I think I think that we'll talk about a little bit later, but I mean this was this was one hell of a game, but I think it, it's probably appropriate to move on to what would be the most controversial and most entertaining and most ridiculous game of the weekend or week rather. This was played on Monday, was the Spurs Chelsea game at at Tottenham Ham Stadium. I mean, did you guys? I didn't. I wasn't able to watch the full entirety of the game. I saw the highlights. I, I pretty much watched maybe three quarters of it after work. But Sean. Take the reins on this one because this was absolutely bonkers. This was this was we were talking about sagas and trilogies. God damn, this was the whole this was the whole Star Wars, uh, uh, you know, <laughs> freaking whatever you call it. Their entire, in, it, yeah, whatever. I can't even I can't even speak. I'm just spitting words here. Serious, yeah, yeah the, the whole, whole friend, yeah, yeah, man. But it was four disallowed goals, two red cards, um, five goals in all. Spurs opened the game really well, and it was honestly such a fun game to watch, like super heated. So many guys were going in for big tackles, the type of thing that, Kyle, I know you love to see. Got heart. Uh, especially in, in a rivalry game. And, you know, a couple of yellow cards along the way, and it just kind of fell apart for Spurs. You have James Madison and Van de Ven get hurt, you know, uh, respectively with – I'm not really sure exactly what it was, maybe ankle for Madison mm -hmm. and then definitely hamstring for yeah. Van de Ven. He's out until the end of the year now. So, uh, especially with their December coming up, it's really going to be tough for Spurs. And it, it starts – it was a tough one in this game. You know, they played a high line with nine men because Udogi also ends up getting sent off. Um, and – yeah, it's it's going to be a real a slog for them, but they they were brave in this game. Uh, Vicario was looking like prime Manuel Neuer as a sweeper keeper. They they had such a high line as you alluded to before. Um, you know, is it the smartest way to, to approach that game? No, probably not. Especially when you're playing a Chelsea opponent who um, struggles to break teams down in a low block. You know, that's why they've struggled. They've done well against the top half sides and then struggled with the teams at the bottom of the table. Because those teams are going to sit deep against Chelsea and seed possession, and they don't necessarily have the creativeness um, in terms of or or finishing ability to, to to break teams down. And but credit to Spurs, they stayed this game for almost the entire time. Went into added time before you know Chelsea broke that deadlock to make it you know three and four. 
So, I, I mean, got to give credit to Spurs at the end of the day, but this is a huge, huge loss in terms of you lose Romero for three games, Van de Ven for at least five or six, right, because mm-hmm. of the, the holiday period coming up. Uh, you lose Madison, and then uh, Odogi also misses out. It, it definitely makes their their weekend coming up, you know, very difficult. It's crippling. It's crippling for a Spurs side that is, was sitting in first without a single loss, and they received their first loss against Chelsea, which is unfathomable, especially at home. Kyle, you pointed out last week that Chelsea has the best record out of all Premier League teams versus other Premier League teams. They have won the most times against Spurs than any other team. Unfortunately, your lock of the week fell short quite a bit. Bah. But uh, Sean, I think I think you nailed it with the with the overview essentially of this game. And Chelsea, you're you're celebrating, but my God, you got to take this with a grain of salt, my friends, because you could not generate anything. And I guarantee you, if Spurs and Ange decided not to actually have the highest line in the entire world something that's higher than the hairline that is lebron james's head i mean it 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 could have been detrimental to to chelsea i mean nicholas jackson also has no idea how to run through that line and stay on sides and he got a hat trick yes faster than rashford did again but that that you could have put you could have put a well-placed as you like to say it kyle a well-placed cone by the net could have scored a hat trick against spurs this time around yeah so. there was there was nothing special about that hat trick i i genuinely believe this any player in the premier league would have completed that hat trick yeah he didn't have a single shot that wasn't with the inside of his foot and in, <laughs> into an open net you know like it that, yeah that there's one other thing i want to talk about this game with um you know the first half ended there were 13 minutes of stoppage time and all i could think about was good goddamn good because that was a slow half. Mm-hmm. Boy, could I have not been more wrong. That ball was in play for 48 out of 111 minutes that game. That's 43% crazy. of the game, the ball was in play. Like, if that was what they're going to do, and I do really appreciate the Premier League saying that we have to extend stoppage times at the end of each half, because they do. And this is the first year we're seeing double-digit stoppage times as a pretty normal thing. But... <laughs> Are we going to be seeing 25 minutes of stoppage time now? If you're going to a three o'clock match, are you walking out the stadium at seven o'clock? <laughs> you know, like it's it's to a point where you're there to watch 90 minutes of soccer. You support your team. You pay for your ticket. You go there. You bring your family. You bring your kids. You get popcorn. It's a memory. <laughs> and you're watching 48 minutes of soccer. That, that ain't it. So something's got to change on that end. Yeah, that was that was a bit of a crazy game. And. I think it ended probably how everyone expected it to end after the two red cards, unfortunately, for Spurs. It kind of segues nicely into our third segment here. So I think we'll skip the uh, the fun and funky music here. But our our week or weekend look ahead, and I know a lot of you will probably be listening to this after the weekend because we're recording on a Friday night before the first game tomorrow, which is Wolves versus Tottenham at Molyneux Stadium at 7.30 a.m. And even though the Wolves are coming off a loss that gave Sheffield United, who was in dead-ass last, their first win of the season, and they don't have Pedro Neto to kind of pave the way for them, they're at home versus a very severely depleted Spurs. As Sean mentioned before, they're, they're going to be without almost half of their st- starting field players from 
last weekend's game. I mean, Madison is long-term now. Vandervin is arguably one of the most underrated signings of the summer transfer window. He's out with a long-term injury. You have Romero, their best center back, suspended. And Udagi, who's probably their best fullback, also suspended. So this could start to spiral for Spurs relatively quickly here. So I would consider this a must-win game for Spurs. Otherwise, you also allude to this, Sean. Their, their fixture list right now is not friendly. Then they go to Villa, they have City, they have West Ham, and they have Newcastle. So if they don't take a win here, they're, the enemies are going to be smelling some blood in the water here. It could be it could be nasty for Spurs very, very quickly. And then, you know, um, Kyle or Sean, you want to take the, the next game of the weekend to watch here? Oh, yeah. I mean, I'm more than happy to, to dive into City versus Chelsea. This is the game of the weekend, which just tells me that there are really no good games this weekend because this isn't really a good game. Chelsea's in shambles. City's on a warpath. Uh, you know, you're, you're looking at Chelsea like, oh, well, these motherfuckers just scored four goals on Spurs. Yeah, they scored four goals on a nine-man Tottenham Hotspurs with, you know, goals that not a single one of those four goals is going to be in the top 200 goals of the season. So am I worried? No. Do I think Sterling is going to pop off? Yeah, I do. I think Sterling's going to come with, with vengeance in his eyes, and he's going to have a phenomenal game. But other than that, I can see this being low scoring. I don't see Chelsea scoring. I could see two nothing. I could see one nothing. I think a Holland revenge game is on the on the horizon. You know, we had six goals this weekend. I, I looked to the score sheet afterwards, and I couldn't believe my eyes that Holland hadn't put one in the back of the net. So, you know, there's a, there's a lot of moving parts for this game, but I do think that this shouldn't be too difficult for Man City to coast through. Agreed. Agreed. I think I think Chelsea fans out there, and I'll tell my brother on the car ride home. Don't get your hopes up because you just won. Be pleasantly surprised when you lose by three or two, and then be extremely excited if somehow you pull out the the miracle on pitch, which would be beating City. So, Sean, what do you think? And you want to take Man U and your lock? Yeah, I, well, so my lock actually is the Man City over Chelsea, um, and I'm parlaying it with Aston Villa over Fulham. Just want to talk about that game briefly. Uh, Fulham's only won one game in their last five. They only have nine goals, which is the last in the league. Um, and Or, sorry, tied for last in the league. So I think that component also with Villa being the best home team in terms of goal differential and they're undefeated, five, five wins at home. I'm going to take Villa and City. I think City probably, like Kyle says, coast to win. I'm going to say 3-1. I do think Chelsea score maybe through Cole Palmer or Sterling. I think those would be the two most likely culprits for for Chelsea. So two former Man City players, but I, I just think City seems to have figured it out. You know, Rodri's back. Doku's, you know, settled and looks great. It, it's hard to see Chelsea walking away, but they've taken points off all three top six teams they've played this year. So that has to be noted. It's, a, it's at Stamford Bridge that they get credit for that as well. But I, I do agree. I think uh, I expect Man City to win. That's a good point. I didn't I didn't realize that they have taken points away. I know they tied Arsenal the first game of the season, tied you guys at Liverpool, and then and they just, just beat, beat Spurs. That's a great point. But we all know that City is some other type of animal. So ridiculous. But one other game just to watch out for on 10 a.m. at Old Trafford. We mentioned it already before. It's just because we want to see this team if they spiral more or they actually maybe pick up a little points here and a little bit of the pieces, and that's Man United versus Luton Town. So it should be a relatively easy win 
for Man United, but we saw that the Hatters gave it to Liverpool or put up a good side against them. That was obviously at Kenilworth Road. So, but Man United is in shambles and Liverpool isn't. So, this game to me could be an, an upset, but I, I think Man U walks away with it. James, what's uh in your guys' opinion, Sean as well? What's best case scenario for Manchester United this season? Mm. Like, are they are they scraping the barrel to even hit Europa now, or is a win if they can just get back on track and? I mean, maybe Ten Hag keeps his job because as, as much as I would like to see them with a new coach, there is something to be said about having a stable coach for multiple years and building a team. I mean, if they can get on the rails again, they're only four points back from fifth place. You know, there's still a lot of soccer left to be played. If they can stay fit, Man U has the ability to correct or right the ship, I think. But at, at the moment, their their ship's not even in the water. They haven't even got off the dock. And it's it's just completely it's horrible. But no. like you said, there's not a ton of, um, you know, there's not a ton of space between them and fifth place, which mm-hmm. is all they need for Champions League next year. Um, I don't think they're going to get out of their Champions League group. I, I think uh, that's going to be too tough for them. But as long as they get it the next year, I think Ten Hag will be in the job. Um, you know, for the foreseeable future, as long, unless something goes really catastrophic in, in their next stretch of games. Um, I think like Mike and Brendan both talked about, Man United really doesn't fire a coach until it's obvious that they're not going to get top four. Um, so until that's the case, I, I think I, I, I think he's going to be in the job. And I, and I think we also should expect them to win this game. That's not not ridiculous yeah. by any means. Yep. Um, I talked about this the pitch size of Luton Town's Kenilworth Road being the smallest. Uh, Old Trafford's the second biggest. The quality on the day should you know should be evident. Yeah, agreed. Agreed. Great question, Kyle. What What do you think? You think uh, they'll survive or no? Um, I would like to see. Them. I mean, I'm always a fan of Manchester United. Just their history, what they've done for the entire sport as a whole. So it does pain me to see Manchester United not in the top four. I think that's a for sure thing. Like, you know, this we're talking about the Premier League, but if you were to just hear, hey, Real Madrid just started absolutely failing. They're in seventh place, and they don't look on like they're going to start improving. That That's kind of a bummer, right? Like, that's soccer history right there. I wouldn't so mind seeing I, I would like to see them get <laughs> – well, I mean, I'm a Madrid fan, so. Oh, not Madrid. But, yeah, I would, oh, yeah, well, yeah. I, I'd like to see them get back on track. I mean – the, the hopes for a title is over. The hopes for doing well in this Champions League, unfortunately, is, in my opinion, over because of how well Bayern Munich plays. So I think any any chance of European football next season is a win. That's mm-hmm. what they should be playing for at this point. They should be treating Champions League games like finals of tournaments, and they should be treating the Premier League as a secondary at this point until their Champions League run is up. And then once that ends, then just focus, focus, focus on clearing the top six. That's fair. Well, I think we, we highlighted a lot of good games at the end here to watch tomorrow and then Sunday. And I think we, we I would say we have some pretty good takes. Sean, I think your lock of the week might carry you into first place. I think that's a fun, juicy one, especially with I like these parlays we're throwing out there. Villa, obviously, with the upset over the weekend. But I think your logic is pretty sound there. And, um, you know, I, I might ride that with you, man. I might ride that wave. But um, until then, I think we're going to pop it. It was This was a little bit later in the week recording on a Friday. You know, we are middle-aged uh not middle-aged we're, we're young adults <laughs> early in our careers we have a career to worry about so unfortunately our timing didn't work out in the usual tuesday to wednesday slot so i hope you guys all are entertained and and give this one a listen as well but hey hit us up with any questions or anything you want to talk about on the next podcast which hopefully will come out i think 
either Tuesday or Wednesday. Like I said, Hoboken Hombres are playing Monday night. So if no one's doing anything at 10 o'clock p.m., it's a little past your bedtime, I think, Sean. And Kyle, you're about 5 million hours away. But the Hombres will, will be – you'll be rooting with us in, in spirit. But, Sean, why don't, you, why don't you take it away and sign us off this time? Yeah, so I just wanted to uh, to mention – so next week we're going to have my friend Nick on who's a Wolves fan. So obviously we, we sh- uh, previewed oh, that game. The Wolves. No, they, <laughs> no. People want to. The people want to hear it. So obviously, we the, our most recent uh, spotlight was Man United by voter request, but the second place team was Wolves. So we're gonna bring my friend Nick on. He's actually a comedian professionally. Like he's he's very good and and funny. So he's got a podcast that he wants to pitch as well. And uh, I think it's gonna be a lot of fun. So look forward to that as well. That's coming out probably. I think we're gonna record that Tuesday. So Mon- Wednesday morning. That'd be perfect. Oh, I'm looking forward to it. I forgot. Yeah, I forgot about yeah, that. That'll be a blast. That's fantastic. Oh, yeah. All right. I love it. I would also like to clarify, I do not hate the Wolves. I just hate that they beat Man City this year. So, All right. That's, I feel like you know, that's We'll go in there with a positive attitude. No, no issues on that end. Well, until next time, guys, I hope you all line up uh, and, and queue up our, our podcast this weekend and for – for Tuesday next week. It's going to be fun. It's going to be exciting. It's going to be some comedy. So we'll see what happens. So thank you, everybody. As always, we appreciate the listen, the support, and anything you guys have for us, feel free to pitch. Until next time, enjoy the games this weekend, and we'll talk to you later.